Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, please open the word, open our ears, open our eyes, feed us now, and we would obey that which is from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A profound inner change takes place when a person is born again. Not only are our sins forgiven, but our spiritual capacities are radically increased. After being born again, a person is not the same person they were before. Remember, Paul makes that reference in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says we have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And yet, the question is, what has become new? Because we know as we've become Christians, there's still old stuff there. I mean, we still have temptations. We still have weariness and flesh and wake up grumpy and uh, all of that. But yet, something has profoundly become new. And we're going to see what that is today. This does not mean that all our attitudes and behaviors are instantly Christ-like, you noticed that, but our potential to become Christ-like has changed dramatically. Probably the best word to describe our new condition is freedom. What is it? Freedom. Freedom. A born-again person is finally free. Free to see and hear a whole new world they hardly knew existed before. And most importantly, free to draw close to God. Because God is the source from which flows all the resources that we need. In today's lesson, we'll start by watching the transformation Moses underwent as he drew close to God. We'll also notice the strange response he met with when people saw that transformation. And then we'll turn to a passage in Paul's letters in which he explains the spiritual meaning of this event. And we'll learn why we are now free to draw near to God until we too shine with his glory. Exodus chapter 33. Moses has been interceding for his nation. They, they uh, had uh, made a golden calf, a, a young bull, symbol of Osiris, the Egyptian sun god. And uh, they'd made and worshipped this thing and declared it to be Yahweh. And, and basically they were in very, very serious trouble. And Moses interceded for them earnestly. And we saw him pray last week, uh, Lord, if you won't forgive them, take me out of the book of life. And we talked about the book of life. Well, in his time with the Lord, uh, he makes a remarkable statement, verse 18. He has been talking to the Lord so directly, I think hearing his voice audibly and sensing his presence literally in this prayer tent of his, that At one point, he basically says, I want to see you. I don't want to just hear you. May I see you? And verse 18 records these words. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. I want to see you. And he doesn't realize what he's asking because if God were to pull back the veil and let him see him, the the, the glory of God, the spiritual reality of God is vastly more real than the world we live in now. And so, God's glory is to us like a fire 
In fact, I think that is what the consuming fire of the last day is when God, he simply comes in all of his glory, does not hold it back, and as it impacts this created world, it just basically fries it. And uh, so if, if he were to simply show himself with unlimited, uh, un, no, no reduced wattage, uh, just, just a, <laughs> he'll fry Moses like a bug. And, and so Moses doesn't know what he's asking for. And he says, show me your glory. You know, and God goes, yeah, right. But, it, but the Lord is kind and he says, all right, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. I am compassionate and I'm going to show you compassion and answer your prayer. But verse 20, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Not until we're resurrected, then we can. And then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. This will be up on the top of Mount Sinai. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. There'll be a, a, a spot in the middle of all this rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by to shelter you. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall, shall not be seen. So the event itself takes place there in verse 5 of chapter 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. And then he pro gives this proclamation of, of his heart and nature. Then we move. Uh, well, then let me just say this. Uh, Moses is on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Not eating, not drinking, but in that Shekinah glory of God, literally suspended uh, in time. Stepping kind of into an eternal state, I suppose. And... Uh, he, something happens to him in all of this, particularly, I think, in that moment of seeing God pass by him that closely. Um, he doesn't even know what's happened, but he comes down the mountain and something remarkable takes place. Verse 28 of chapter 34. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets, that is, God wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This is the second copy because the first got broken. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai, the, the last chapter or two. He re re repeats it. Uh, and when Moses finished speaking to, with them, he put a veil. Um, it's, it's a garment or uh, some cloth over his face. It's probably, as you see in the Near East, you know, that kind of place where they put their, the veil over their head and then probably pulled it across so his eyes are showing. Um, but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he'd take that veil off until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone, so Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in. So he'd come out and speak to them. He was shining there. But they didn't like it. Isn't it an odd response? I mean, 
in some ways, it'd be kind of pretty, I would think, or remarkable to see this guy coming down and shining like this. Um, the, the, the Hebrew actually says there were like spikes of light that went out from him. If you've ever seen Michelangelo's uh, statue of Moses, it has this odd thing. It has two little horn-like things on the top of his head. And you say, what's he putting horns on Moses for? And what is this? You know, well, he's actually accurately capturing what the Hebrew says there, and that is that there were like spikes or horns, would be the Hebrew, of light that came off him. Well, he doesn't have horns, but what he, what he had was these, it was shooting off. It wasn't, he wasn't just warmly glowing. He, I mean, it was, it was coming off him like this, and it scared them. Uh, scared them, and they found it repulsive and un unpleasant. They did not want to see this. And so they insisted that he would cover his head because they were offended by that glory. Now, in some ways, you'd think they'd be pleased to see it. I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere, and their leader is so in touch with God, he glows. I, would, that would, I think you'd find that comforting. Like, cool, he knows where we're going. Um, just follow that guy that glows, you know? So, I mean, in some ways, you'd think they would be pleased by it, but they were not pleased by it. Now, so there's this odd response to their leader. Now, Paul takes this passage and explains it and preaches from it. And let's let him be our preacher today. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul will explain what's going on. I'll start uh, verse 4. Paul says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. That, and he's ta been talking about their changed lives and how it's evidence that his gospel and his ministry is valid from the Lord because the Corinthian lives have been profoundly changed by the presence of Christ. And then he says, not that we, and I think he's referring to the apostles, of which he's one, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy for ministry is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, that not, not being the Old Testament of the, of the Ten Commandments and of the covenant Moses made in which the people promised to keep it and then they didn't and so it, it brought condemnation on them. But Paul says we're part of a covenant of the Spirit that by faith in Christ the Holy Spirit is given to us and we are made by the Spirit righteous. Not by trying to keep rules but by a deep transformative power that happens within us when we believe on Christ. And then he says that if, if, if the old covenant with Moses came with this kind of radiant glory so that Moses literally shot beams of light off of his face uh, in the receiving of it, how much more will the ministry of Christ who brings us the Holy Spirit in an unlimited way, he gives the Spirit without, without any limitation, how much more will that be marked with glory? In other words, we have an access to the glory of God greater than what we see in Moses. Now think about that. Moses had this access to the point that his skin shone. He was being physically translated up into a spiritual realm. His body was being changed by the influence of the spirit. And we have a greater access than he had. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says down in verse 12, Therefore having such a hope... We use great boldness in our speech. Paul says, um, Moses was willing to put a cloth over his face and hide this glory 
I'm not. <laughs> he says, and he says, now, and we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the, at the end of what was fading away. Because for Moses, it would, it would fade, and then he would go before the Lord, and it would sort of amp up, and then he would, he would be out and fade down, and then it'd amp up. A uh, bit like us, isn't it? But their minds were hardened. He says, here's the problem. The minds of the people of Israel were hardened. And that's a particular word he uses. For until this very day, the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted over their hearts. So now Paul pictures not only Moses covered with a veil to hide the glory, but the hearts of the people of Israel covered with a veil because they have hardened them and don't want to see the glory. So there's two sets of veils here, one over Moses, one over the hearts of the people. And he says, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the, 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 the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, a veil lies over their hearts because it's full of Christ, but they don't see him. Now, this, and then, now the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of now the Sp Lord is the Spirit. He's, he's saying, for us, we've come now to, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's the word freedom. He's, we've been given freedom. But we all with, and what, what is our freedom? We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror. In other words, we still can't see him without him reducing the wattage. We still can't see him just as he is. It would kill us still in these fallen bodies. So we see him like a mirror. And, and the mirrors in those days were copper, you know, beat out copper flat plates, and you'd look at yourself, and you'd sort of see yourself in there, but it's not like the glass mirrors we have now. So it was a dimmer view. And so he says, we see something of, of the glory of the Lord, and when we do behold Jesus, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, one, as the, from the Lord the Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms us as well, from one level to the next level to the next level, lifting us up to become like Christ. Moses put a veil over his face because the people had a veil over their hearts. I want to just comment for a minute uh, about those veils. How does a veil develop over the heart? Paul says it gets hardened. That people's hearts get hardened so that they can't see Christ. How does that happen? I believe there's two sources for that. And I'll, First of all, the veil is a defensive mechanism that we put upon our own hearts to protect them from being convicted by the Spirit, our conscience, and thus having to repent. I may sound a little cynical, but that's exactly what Jesus says. Turn with me to John chapter 3. This is that wonderful passage that contains the statement, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then in verse 20, Jesus is explaining the process of why people uh, walk away from him. And he says this, For everyone who does evil, practices it, makes a, a lifestyle of rebellion, hates the light, the revelation of Jesus Christ, hates seeing the truth of God, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be, mine says exposed, reproved. He doesn't want to be told no. Our conscience says, don't do that, but I want to do it. And so I silence my conscience. And we all know what this process is, don't we? I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it. And so I 
simply put a veil over my heart. This is, what, this is how the hardening happens. And, and people develop lifestyles of refusing the, the conscience, which is, uh, is the vo- initially it's the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, to us, and hardening our hearts. So we put that veil there. Now I want to show you an interesting passage and turn with me to Matthew 13. This is a passage, actually somebody even asked me about it in the last couple of weeks. And I want to show you this process that I've just spoken of. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's preaching to the large crowds and the disciples notice that when he speaks to the crowds, he almost always teaches them with parables. Now, a parable is a story which has a spiritual meaning that you have to kind of untie and think it through. And the disciples, verse 10, came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you, you disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. I will tell you straightforwardly. I will explain spiritual truth to you, but I will not explain it to them. And now he's going to tell us why. Verse 12, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. To the person who has faith, to the person who who obeys what God gives them, they are given more revelation. To the person who does not obey, to the person who will who hardens their heart, they will have less and less and less revelation and understanding. Therefore, he says, I speak to them in parable, parables because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus would have crowds of, of, of upwards of 15,000 people. And, and it was possible for him to speak to that many. Um, they, in those days, understood uh, vocal dynamics, they understood acoustics, and, and uh, the idea of an amphitheater, they would use hillsides and things where he would stand at the bottom and they would sit in these arrays above, and he was able to speak to 15,000 people. There's a place I found in an old atlas, it's the only place I've ever seen it, I've got some really old stuff, and it has a picture of a, of a shoreline of, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this rock about 10 feet out from the shore, and then there's this hillside bank that goes right up the side. And tradition, and I don't know that they do it anymore, but this is really old, back in the 20s. They called it the Jesus Rock. Well, I think the tradition recorded accurately. It was probably something he used. He stood there. The people sat on the bank and arrayed up the hillside, and he could speak to them. So he had huge numbers that would follow him. But when it finally came down to it, only five or 600 were really born again, were willing to follow him. We see that with the resurrection. So people would come for healing, they would come for the miracles, they'd come for the loaves and fishes, they loved to watch things happen, they liked to even listen to him. But it did not translate into new birth. One time he, he, he said it really bluntly, he says, woe to you Chorazin, which was one of the towns there in, in, in up in the Galilee, woe to you Bethsaida on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. He said, if the works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two Phoenician cities, that were done in you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Those pagans who've not had the prophets and the writings of God, those pagans who've not had the, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit among them, they would have seen the reality of God and they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And then he says, it'll be better in that day for Sodom and Gomorrah, 
than for you. For the Son of God's walked your streets. I've healed your sick. I've cast out your devils. There's no question who I am, and you've rejected me. You put a veil over your heart. You come for the miracles, but you refuse to see the glory of the Son of God. Strong word he gave them. That's how it happens. Now, let me just finish this. Uh, Matthew 13. This is a passage that may puzzle you. When you see what I mean, you'll see it makes perfect sense. And then he goes on to say, in their case, this hardened group, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing but will not understand because you choose to harden your heart. You will keep on seeing but not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. They've dulled it themselves. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Because if they open them, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And they would have to return and repent and come back to me. And they don't want to. And I would heal them. But blessed are yours, he says, you disciples who have, who, who have obedient hearts. For your eyes see and your ears hear. We harden our own hearts. Moses came down the mountain and the people were repelled by the sight of this glory shining off of him. Why? They didn't want to see it. They did not want God that close. Remember when God would speak to them, they said, we don't want to hear from him. You talk to him and tell us what he says. Get God back. We want space. We don't want him intruding into our lives. How many people feel that way? They want God if there's a crisis. He's their raincoat in a rainstorm. When they go to the hospital, they want to go, oh God, heal my wife. And they want the healing power then. But otherwise, stay back and stay away. Doesn't work like that. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul tells us there's another force involved in this hardening. He says, in whose case the God of this world, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, they might not have the revelation of the truth of how to be saved, of the glory of the Son of God, Christ, who is the image of his Father, who is the image of God. There is a spiritual force aggressively trying to deceive us so that we'll rebel and confuse and wants to confuse us so that we will misunderstand. The veil comes off the heart only when a person is born again. There is a spiritual blindness and a veil over every heart. It's, all, it's put there because we all do the same thing. But when God comes to us, and right now, for example, if you don't know the Lord, you may sense the reality of what I'm saying, the closeness of the love of God, that, that you need to give your life to the Lord. You're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and he is pulling things back and showing you enough. But what he'll show you are three things. He'll show you your sin. He'll show you the, the absolute mercy and reality of Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he'll also warn you that if you continue to follow your own ruler, the ruler of this world, that you will perish with him. There'll be that agitation of a bit of a worry. That's God. That's what he will show you as he pulls it back. If you choose to obey it, if you say, Lord, I do repent, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I surrender my life to you, and I will follow you, you become born again, and that veil is removed from the heart.
your capacity to see things, your capacity to hear things is totally changed. Before you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You, can't, you are not on this plane. The, the radio doesn't pick up that wavelength. But when you're born again, your capacities are totally changed. That's why there is such kind of a, a confusion when you're dealing between believers and unbelievers. I mean, true believers. When, you ha when, they, when they're trying to talk and communicate, there's this, there's this, there's this disconnect. And you think, why can't you see that? Why isn't it obvious? Because to you, it's totally obvious. It's not obvious to them. It's not obvious at all. They do not see what you see and cannot and will not until God has done that miracle of removing the veil that's over the heart. Jesus says, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when the veil comes off, we are free at last to draw near to Jesus Christ in worship and behold his glory. That's the wonder of it all. That's the most, that's how we change. I am now free to see and hear, but not only that, I'm free to enter in. I am told that I can boldly approach the throne of grace. I can come right into the presence of God. No, no shame, no fear. I am welcomed right into his presence like Moses was. And I can behold Jesus Christ. Now with my spiritual eyes, and it's, it's, it's a choice I make. Paul calls it, set, he says, set your mind on the things that are above. He says, set your mind on the spirit. It's literally take your mind off of the world, off of these things. I have a freedom to choose. A Christian is not automatically perfect. Have you noticed? Yeah, you found that out yesterday. But you have an access to a transformative power any time you want it. And this is where Christian maturity is formed. It's not that you come to this perfect place. You realize how much you need the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so you and I now can enter into his presence and behold him and see him and have him change us, our attitudes. I mean, have you stood in worship and come in with fear, just overwhelmed with some fear and found at some moment in the worship that fear melted away and you are no longer fearful? You now have a confidence that God is going to be with you. You just know it. That is the transformation that goes on. This kind of exchange, I'm telling you, get a hold of this, can happen all the time, virtually any time, that we will invest ourselves to seek the Lord and press in. We are now free at all times to press in. You can come in with a lack of faith and you suddenly have boldness and confidence God will, be, God will be with you. You can come in with a cold, dry heart, maybe toward your spouse, and God can pour love into your heart where it did not exist before. Something can exist where it did not exist before. It isn't simply you getting your attitude fixed. You can be transformed until you shine with his glory. We have freedom. The veil's gone. And we now enter in. And Paul says. We behold him with unveiled faces. See. Seeing him. Because we now have capacity. We can turn our eyes. And see him. 
And he says, as I behold him in worship, I am changed into his image. I, there's, a, there's a radiance, a, there's a power that flows from him that saturates me to my core. It changes my attitudes, it changes my physical health, it changes everything about me. I am literally radiated, as it were, by the glory of God. And he says, I am lifted up from one level of glory to the next. There's, in other words, there's an ascending quality to it. He just keeps lifting me and lifting me and lifting me until I become like Christ. This, this is your secret. Isaiah says, he calls it waiting on the Lord. He says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and he talks of himself like a vine, and he says, if you attach and let the, let the, the juices of the, of the stem go into the, into the branches. It's all kinds of images used all through the Bible, but it's the same process. When I come and I behold him, I am lifted up. You never become sufficient without him. You will always have the glory fade even as it did on Moses, it fades on you too. And you always come back and behold him and the glory is restored. That is our process until the resurrection. At the coming of the Lord, at our resurrection, we see this whole thing stops. Our bodies are now spiritual bodies. We behold him with full wattage <laughs> and can tolerate it because we are now resurrected in bodies like his. We are lifted to a new level of spiritual, it's a physical, but a, real, a spiritual body. And now we behold him, the old flesh has passed away. The temptations, the tempter is gone. Um, our weariness and weaknesses are gone. And in that state, we will live on a renewed heaven and earth. And it's going to be a real beautiful place, not floating on clouds. We're going to live together on this new earth forever. And having a lot of fun. And somehow serving, because that's the nature of God. We're going to be active and using our minds. It's not going to be some boredom. You know, some people think it's eternal church. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, we'll have church, I'm sure. But it isn't just going to be sitting in church and sort of harmonizing. Yeah. That's a relief to some, I think. Well, maybe I want to go there then. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, Jesus. As I've spoken today, you may realize that you, you need to let that veil come off your heart. That you need to give yourself to the, to the loving God who made you. And that that's really never fully happened. But today you're ready to do it. As you listen, the Lord's touched you. You understand your need for forgiveness, but you understand that Christ has indeed paid for your sins. I mean, this is making sense to you. And you're willing now to surrender because that's where it finally comes to, isn't it? That I'm willing to surrender and be his disciples. He says to you, just as he said to, his, to the 12, come and follow me. So there's a letting you come and you leave something and you follow Christ and you enter into a new life. It's not your life, it's his now. And a lot of people aren't ready to make that step. But maybe you are today. Maybe you're ready to surrender. Maybe you're ready to say, I come and no, no restrictions anymore. Not, not asking to qualify anything. But I give you my life, Lord. I will follow you. You are my Savior and my Lord. And for you I live with all that's within me. If that's where you are, I would love it if you would just say, I, I want to pray now. I want to receive Jesus Christ. 
Please don't pass that up. This is not some mild thing and it does need to be sealed. It needs to be confessed out of your lips. You need to make the decision. You need to know that you did it. So don't just say, well, I, I kind of thought those thoughts. No, go pray it. You may be ready to cry out from your heart, holy, holy, and you, want, you need that transformation. You know it. Please come and be born again. Please come and seal it and finish that issue once and for all and step into a whole new level of relationship. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.